really know anything about Jesus. You think of a story, uh, something that happened 2,000 years ago, something that, you, you know, a, a fisherman, a, a carpenter, you know, the, the, the key players in the story that, that, that has been passed on, that has been moved on. How do we know, how is it that what started with this, a, a small group of people became something that, that today, billions, over a billion people believe in this message of Jesus. How is it that any of us at all know anything at all about Jesus? When you really think about that, I, I, I sometimes find it kind of amazing that we would even know anything. And, and, and so in this last series that we did, Circles and Rows, we were talking about the birth or the, the birth of the church. We were talking about the, when the circles and rows were organized into a, a mission, if you will, that we today call the church. But that word church was not necessarily the original meaning of what we experienced. That, that word church actually is the word ecclesia. And the ecclesia is a Greek word word that, that, that really means a group of people that are called out. It is a group of people that have organized around a message, a group of people that believe something. And so when we're talking about the circles and the rows or the ecclesia, the people of God that have been called out, we look at the book of Acts, actually the book of Luke, and then the book of Acts, and it gives us some ideas of the, the, the birth of the church. And in Acts chapter 1 and in verse 8, uh, Jesus was talking to his disciples. It was right before he was being caught up into heaven. And, and in Acts 1.8, it says that you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. That was in the area that they were at. They were in Jerusalem. And so Jesus was saying, you're going to give a witness of me. You will give a witness of what you've seen happen. That there was a man who was sent from God, God's own son, his one and his only son who lived on planet earth. He died on a cross. His blood was shed so that yours and my sin could be forgiven. And then three days later, he's alive. I'm living proof. I'm living proof that what God said has come to pass. I want you to be a witness of this in Jerusalem. But I don't want it to stop there. I want it to go to Judea area around them. And I want you to take it to Samaria. Now they, the Jews hated the Samaritans. There was a, there was a conflict really, to be totally honest with you, the Jews would have just assumed that the Samaritans had just gone to hell because they did not like them. They didn't want anything to do with it. They thought that they were beyond God's ability to reach. And God is telling, I think God is telling us, he wants this message, this testimony to go to people that we think are beyond God's reach. And then he said, I want you to take this to the whole world. Now, here's a group of fishermen. Here's a group of people that, that are, man, man, they don't have any expertise in this at all. And God is saying, I want to change the focus from just you, just Jerusalem. And I want you to take this testimony to the entire world. That's in Acts 1.8, and then you get through Acts 1.8, you get to Acts 2, and the beginning of Acts 2, they're in the upper room. They're doing what Jesus said. Jesus said, I want you to wait in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. And so they're in this upper room, 120 roughly of them, followers of Jesus. They're up there just praying, worshiping God, having a great time, and then suddenly God does something. The, Spirit, the Holy Spirit descends upon them. It fills the room. It's like fires on their head, and they begin to speak with tongues. They begin to pray as 
as we would call it, they begin to pray in the spirit. And it's not just a quiet little prayer meeting at that point. At that point, it becomes very loud. It becomes very, uh, I, I want to say raucous. It's just like, man, it's just, it's, it's, it's noisy and it's loud. And there's a whole bunch of people that are in Jerusalem because of the Feast of Pentecost. Every year they would celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. People would come into Jerusalem. And so at that point, they're hearing the noise that is going on. But there's something different about the noise, and the difference is that the noise isn't just people celebrating and partying. The noise is praises to God. They're hearing praise to God. And the amazing thing was is that they heard it in their own languages and dialects. And it's like, these are ordinary fishermen. These are people that don't have any expertise. They don't have any training. What's going on here? God was doing something in that birth of the church that caused people to say, what in the world is happening here? Peter gets up and he begins to preach. And as he's preaching, he's talking about Jesus, the Messiah, God's one and only son who was sent from heaven to earth. He lived among the earth. And in his preaching, if you will, he was saying, some of you saw Jesus and you know this story about him because what was done to him was not done in a dark place. It wasn't done behind closed doors. It was wide open. There were people in the crowd that Peter was speaking to that saw Jesus, that perhaps saw the miracles, that perhaps were there during the crucifixion and they saw all of the events and now Peter's giving witness of what happened. And I, I think it's kind of funny because it says, you killed him. You put the Messiah to death. You killed him. And they were like, what do we do? What, what should we do? What do we do with this that you're telling us now? And then in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Peter replies, and, and this has kind of been the jumping off point for the last series, and I want to just sort of tag onto it. But P Peter replied this. He said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In verse 39, notice what he says. This promise is to you. Those of you that are under the sound of my voice, he's saying, and to your children, and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Now, when Peter is saying that, here, I, I think this is partly what he wants them, and he's doing this by the inspiration of the Spirit of God. I don't think he sat down and, on, you know, and wrote out a sermon. It's, it's, it's really by prophecy almost, and so he's, he's sharing this. But I think what the Spirit of God is wanting those people that were hearing he, he, I think he wanted him to hear something bigger than what perhaps you and I have thought about this verse because we get caught up on the promise. This promise is to you and we sort of stop there. How many of you are glad that there are promises that are specific to you? We're, we're glad for that and we should be glad for that. Yeehaw, praise God. But notice what he says. This promise is to you and to your children because if it stops with you, guess what? It stops. So it's gotta go on to your children even, even, to the, even to the Gentiles. And what he was saying is this is not just a Jerusalem thing. It's not just a Jewish thing. This is an everybody thing. How many of you are glad it's for everybody? Amen. Amen. We are all glad that it's for everybody. All who have been called by the Lord are God. And so I think he's trying to get to this emerging early church that this message, this promise, all of this stuff, it's for everybody everywhere. And then in verse 41, it says, those who believed 
what Peter said, they were baptized and added to that church about 3,000 people in all. At the birth of the church, at the beginning of the church, at the very beginning, a bunch of ordinary, common, everyday fishermen, tax collectors, these guys weren't the sharpest tools in the shed. They weren't the brightest bulbs on the tree. Amen? I mean, they just weren't. They didn't have the pedigree. They didn't have the titles. They didn't have the education. They didn't have all of the stuff that people thought they needed to have in order to be somebody. And so the question remains, how does... How in the world do we still have the message of Jesus when God entrusted to common, ordinary fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, the broken, the marginalized, all of those people? How do we still have the message of Jesus today? How did it survive? And if you read through and you find out that they begin to preach and they're giving testimony, they're doing exactly what Jesus said to do. They're giving testimony of the resurrection of the dead. God's doing miraculous things. The, the, the religious leaders, the, the, they were religious leaders, but also held sway in politics. It was kind of a mess in, in that sense. And so they began to persecute the church. They, they, they told the disciples, don't speak anymore in that name. They were gonna throw them in prison and they were gonna do all of those other things. So then they brought in the disciples to question them and they, the, the, the disciples came to the smart people. The disciples came to the, the right people. And notice what it says after, after they get done questioning him. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, it said, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary. Everybody say ordinary. ordinary. Look at the person next to you and say, You're pretty ordinary. <laughs> Look at the person in front of you and say, You're ordinary. And let me say to you, you're ordinary. There isn't anything much that gives you a lot of distinction, if you will. We're all ordinary. And God used common, ordinary, everyday people to change the world. God used circles and he used rows and he mobilized them into this thing that we call the church to change the world. That word ordinary in the Greek... It's the Greek word idiotas, I think. I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. It's the Greek word idiotas. What does that sound like? <laughs> sounds like what? It sounds like idiot. You know why it sounds like that? Because it means idiot or ignoramus, which is just a nice way to say idiot. You're an ignoramus. <laughs> Hallelujah. What they were really saying is they saw the boldness of these ignorant people. They saw the boldness of these bunch of knuckleheads. And how in the world do we still have the message of Jesus today? Well, that verse doesn't end there. The, the last part of verse 13, it says, they also recognized them as man, men and women who had been with Jesus. There's something about Jesus that takes a bunch of idiots, a bunch of ordinary people, and makes them extraordinary. I said, there's something about being with Jesus, hanging with Jesus, knowing of Jesus, experiencing him that takes our idiocy, our stupidity, and makes it something compelling and beautiful to people around us that is noticeable. So there's hope for you, there's hope for me, and there's hope for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We sang about the grace of God. The grace of God makes a difference in our lives. 
Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm not what I am because I was a scholar. I'm not what I am because I was so, so smart or because I had good fortune. I am what I am because of God's grace. And God's grace takes all the stuff that we aren't. God's grace takes all the stuff that we can't do. And we think of grace for salvation, that's awesome. But there's grace beyond salvation. The gifts that God gives to us, that's his grace. That is his gift. And grace is something, you know the defi- most of you know the definition of grace. Grace is something that you can't work for, you don't earn, and you don't deserve it. That's what God's grace is. I can't work for salvation, nor can I work for his transformation in my life. I don't earn it. I don't deserve it. And so the moment I understand, and this is the key to grace, the moment that I understand that God moved heaven and earth, that God did everything that he could possibly do to get his love to me, get his grace, get his life to me. He did all of that stuff, but I don't get it because I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it until I realize, or I don't get it until I realize I don't deserve it. And the moment I give up, and surrender and say, okay, God, I don't get it. I don't understand, but I'm gonna believe. I'm going to believe. And because I'm gonna believe, at that moment when faith opens up the door to grace, grace comes into our life. So God says, really, the religious leaders recognized that ordinary people, ordinary fishermen, Tax collectors, prostitutes, the broken, the downcast, underfunded, under-equipped, ill-equipped. They notice something about them. They're a bunch of idiots, but they've been with Jesus. And apparently Jesus made up for their, I don't want to say stupidity necessarily, but Jesus made up for the lack, the perceived lack in their life. Now, if that could happen 2,000 years ago to a couple of people, how many of you think it could happen today? Amen, about half of you. Well, I'm gonna preach harder so that the rest of us, maybe you don't think you need the grace of God. Maybe you think you're either beyond the grace of God or you've got everything you need. But guess what? (laughs) This promise is not just for you, it's to everybody. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So here's my question once again, in a little bit different way. How did a group of uneducated, (laughs) ill-equipped, underfunded, how did that group of people change the world? How did a group of people that others recognized were a bunch of idiots change the world? How was it said of them that those that have turned the world upside down, they're here now? How did it happen? Because they spent time with Jesus. It happened because they received the grace of God. And so in the context of what we've been talking about over the last month, how did circles and rows change the world? How did the circles and the rows change the world. Because I think it takes both. I've said this many times. It takes both circles and rows. We need, we need the face-to-face of the circle. We need the one-anothers of the circle. But we need the power and the strength of the row. And it is those two combined, the circle and the row, that causes something, I believe, miraculously powerful to happen on planet Earth. So with all of that, here's why I said that. Here's why this is important. I want you to use, How many of you still have an imagination? Anyone? All right. A few more of you than, than you know... Anyway, so, so if you have an imagination, pull it out, dust it off, use it for just a moment. I want you to imaginate a person. Imaginate. Is that a word, imaginate? It should be. 
I was an ignoramus, sorry. Jeff just called me an ignoramus. <laughs> He's being scriptural. And so, no, and so, <laughs> that's all right, you're just ordinary. <laughs> you know what? You can get away with all that. Say, you're just ordinary. I'm gonna do that driving down Division Street. Oh, there's a lot of ordinary people today. Man, they're just ordinary. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the sermon. All right, so, <laughs> so use your imagination and just imagine that there's this, imagine, there it is again. Just imagine, imagine all the ordinary people preaching messages today. All right, so <laughs> I'm just an ordinary pastor. Anyway, <laughs> to which everybody said, Exactly. All right. <laughs> In closing, let me just say, no. Um, so imagine that there's this person, they're sitting in their house here in central Minnesota somewhere, and they're wondering about God. Maybe they've driven past churches. Maybe they've heard something, saw something on television, but they're wondering about God. God, are you real? Are you out there? Do you care? Because I think there's a lot of people that, that wonder about God. I think there's a lot of people who, and, and, and I really, really believe, my, my core value, if you will, I really believe that there's something in the heart of humanity that yearns for the eternal, that yearns for God, that, that, that there's something in us that draws us to something that is eternal or to God. And, and we recognize there's an emptiness there. We recognize there's a lack there. We recognize that there's something missing there. And because we recognize or feel that, we're trying to fill our life. We're trying to put stuff into our life. But you need to know that there's nothing in this natural world that could ever satisfy a spiritual or eternal hunger. It defies filling. Some, that spiritual hunger can only be met by something that is eternal or lasting or spiritual. And so imagine this person, they're sitting in their house and maybe something's happened in their life that's tragic. And they're like, God, do you even care? Do you even know that I exist? Do you, are you even out there? Because I believe that people want to know God. That's why we exist as a church. We want to help people know God. We want to help people know that God is real, that God is loving, that God is powerful, that God is interested in your everyday life. He's not just some glowing huge mass out somewhere, somewhere out there that we've got to figure out through some contrived method to get in contact with him, but he wants to know you and he wants us to know him. And he wants us to know him in the way that we experience that grace and that love and that power that transforms our life. We want people to know that, want you to know that and respond to it. It's a passion for us. So this person is out there and he's wondering about God and, and maybe he would... Google churches in St. Cloud and come up with different, you know, churches. And, and, and just that person would just go through the list and start calling churches and say, you know, I'm, I'm in a point in my life and I just want to know about God. I just, is God real? Can I connect with God? And, and if they called eight different churches, how many of you know that, that eight different churches would give them about 20 different ways to know God and connect with him? Right? I mean, they might call one church. Well, we, we've got the rosary. If you pray these things, then that's going to call another church. Well, you come to our church, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. We're going to pray for you. Go to another church. And well, you got to go to Sunday school, go to another church. You got to be baptized. I mean, that person would, would reach a point where they're like, you know what? All of these churches represent God and Jesus and they all disagree. Now, how many of you know that's confusing? And that would be a point where somebody say, I quit. I give up. Because... These Christians can't even agree with themselves. Church, that's a problem. 
And it's why, it's why 53% of people will not go to a church. They drive right by this building, every other building, they drive right past it. Because as far as they're concerned, the church has nothing relevant for them. So I said all of that stuff to set up one thing to say this to you, and that's this. I have about five core values that I want you to know about. Some of you have heard this before, but, but these are things that I passionately believe that motivate us as a church, motivate me as a pastor. Number one, I believe that God is interested in the world. Now, when I say the world, I'm not talking about planet Earth. I'm talking about the people that inhabit this world. I believe that God is concerned about the world. The world are people that are not connected to God. The world is people that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. All right? And I believe he's, the Bible says that he's not willing that any perish. He does not want, want one person to miss out on heaven. He does not want one person to go to hell. And, and as we've said jokingly, but as seriously as we possibly can, you have two eternal destinations, the smoking section or the non-smoking section. And we, as a church, exist to help people avoid the smoking section. Amen? How many of you are glad that you've already got reservations in the non-smoking section? Amen. And we exist as a church, part of our reason is to help people miss that other section. God is concerned about the lost. He's concerned about the world. And because our heavenly father is concerned, we're concerned. So I believe that. That's a core value. Number two, I believe that people want to know God. As I said, there's something innate. There's something in us that we want to connect to God. We want to connect to the eternal. So we got God over here, and he wants the world. He wants people in the world to know him. And we've got people of the world. They want to know God. Here's another core value. Number three, I believe that the church, the ecclesia, is God's plan A. There is no plan B. God ordained the ecclesia, the church, as his instrument for the circles and rows to come together to reach the world. So we've got God over here. I want the world to know me. We've got the world over here. And I said, I want to know God. We've got the church right here. And the circle of the church, the warmth of it, the, the blessing and, and all of the stuff that's there, sometimes it becomes a wall. It becomes a barrier that stops the people from knowing God. And what we say is once you come into our circle and you're like us and you believe like us and talk like us and act like us and live like us and do all the other stuff, you can't get to God. Can I tell you, church, that's wrong? And yet that person could call eight different churches and have eight different circles to navigate before they could ever get to God. I was talking with somebody after first service and they said, yeah, they're talking to somebody and they, uh, they're pretty rough. You know, they're a believer and they were using words that, that weren't, you know, no, they, were, they were cussing is basically it. And I said, yeah, I love, I like people like that. I do. I like people like that. They're honest. I had people say, you know, well, excuse my French. It's like, well, I didn't even know I knew French, but I knew what you just said, you know, kind of a thing. I, you know, and I've had people, well, you know, I, I hate to talk like that around a pastor. It's like, I hate when people know I'm a pastor because they start lying right away. It's like, all of a sudden they're talking in King James English, you know, how art thee this day, my brother? You know, okay. you don't talk like that any other time in life. Why are you trying to pass that off on me? <laughs> so anyway, I believe that God's, that God's church, the church, it's God's plan A. But sometimes God's plan A gets in the way. Another core belief. I believe that the world starts right here in central Minnesota. 
I believe it starts right here in central Minnesota. This is the part of the world that I'm supposed to reach, and so are you, because you're planted here. I don't believe the world starts in Africa. I don't believe it starts in Asia. I don't believe it starts in South America. I don't believe it starts in in Canada. I believe it starts right here in central Minnesota, because that's where God has planted us. Am I concerned about other parts of the world? Absolutely, but I'm more concerned about here. Am I going to spend money or invest time, treasure, and talent in other parts of the world? Yes, but I'm going to invest more right here. Why? Because this is the part of the world that God has given to us to care about, which leads me to my last one. And my last one is I'm the branch manager. This is how I view my job. I'm the branch manager of a worldwide organization whose goal is global domination. Amen. I'm a branch manager. That's all I am. As a pastor of a local church, I'm the branch manager of this location. And and, and my job is to take what God's desire is. I want the world to know me and the heart of humanity that says, I want to know God and somehow bring them together in such a way that they'll know that God is for them and not against them. That God's grace is sufficient and it is powerful. So, I love the church. I love the church in all of its messy forms. I love the mega churches. I know people get wigged out about big churches. I love the mega churches. I think they're awesome. They're doing incredible things. I've told people one day when I grow up, I want to be kind of like them. You know, just stuff they can do because everybody can do more than somebody can. It's just awesome. What, what, but I love, I, I, my heart really, I, I love the, the, the small, the rural churches. I, I, my heart goes out to men and women who pastor in churches of a town of 500 and, and, and everybody knows everybody's business and it never changes and it's all that stuff. And, and I think, man, that's got to be so difficult and so hard to do that. And I love the inner city churches. I just love the church and it hurts my heart when I hear people complain and criticize about the church. And I, I you know, I, I, for whatever reason, I, you know, I guess because it's my position. Well, what do you think about Pastor So-and-so? Or did you hear about this church? And it's like, you know, I, I, I have a cartoon bubble. I'm nice, but I have a cartoon bubble. It's like, it's Nunya. <laughs> you, know you know what Nunya is? It's Nunya business. It's Nunya. Who cares what somebody in Texas is doing? Who cares what somebody else is doing? It's God's church. Amen? It's God's church. And I think God's big enough to take care of it. Amen? Just because you Googled something doesn't mean you're right. Sorry, let me get off my soapbox for just a second. Get back to the message. <laughs> Thank you. I thought it was myself, but, but you and I are a minority right now. So, <laughs> amen. There's no, no accounting for taste, but you and I got it. Amen. <laughs> no. And you know what? People criticize this church sometimes, and, and there are times they're like, yeah, you're right. You're right. We could do better. We believe that excellence is the gradual result of always trying to do better. Amen? And for 26 years, we've been trying to do better. We don't want to get stuck in a rut. We don't want to keep doing the same things because we did the same thing before. And so, and so a year ago, I asked you to help us get better as a church. We do this thing, if you're new here, but we do something that's called joy to the world. How many of you know what joy to the world is? And at joy to the world, we ask you to invest how much? That's exactly right. We ask you to invest that because it's the power and it's not the, it isn't so much the, it isn't so much what we do, although that's important. I think that it's a beautiful picture of 
everybody can do more than somebody can. And so very quickly, we ask you to help us in four things. Number one, get better as a church. One of the ways that we do that is growth track. We've been, been investing in that. We've been implementing that. People are going through it. It is a track to run on. And when you take action, it gives you traction towards making a difference in central Minnesota. The second thing was to bless a local church. I don't mean central Minnesota local. I mean a local congregation in a community. Generally, that's through relationship that's making a difference in that community. We just want to be a, a helping hand that comes alongside that congregation and, and we get to say, you know what? We believe in what you're doing. We want to bless you. Thirdly, we want to want to bless a pastor and their spouse. And and and, and I don't know how to say this in, in a way that doesn't sound self-serving. Shelly and I, we are blessed and, and we have so many advantages that a lot of pastors don't have. We are incredibly blessed. And I don't feel this way, but I know that there are pastors because I talk to them. And they... They feel like nobody cares. Nobody, nobody knows what they go through. And there's a tremendous amount of pressure and junk that happens in ministry. And we just want to say, you know, we want to bless you. We just want to give you something. And then fourthly, our joy to the world last year was to bless the Benton County Sheriff's Department in a tangible way. And, and there were things that were happening in America at that point where it's, it was like, you know, there was a lot of criticism against law enforcement and public servants and stuff. And I just thought the Benton County, they ministered to us. They serve us. We wanted to serve them back. We asked you to give forty nine ninety five, And so this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like when the circles and the rows come together in this wonderful thing called the church to make a difference. And I want to share a story with you uh, because you helped us get better as a church. And, and it's, it is a goal of ours. It is something we constantly strive for. And there's a family in our congregation, and I love the arc of their story. Tony and Carol Rogers, they're back there and their family. And, and um, I love the story because they were somebody that was sitting at home wondering maybe about God and needed to get to church. And so they went online and they found our church. And we have this thing that I thought, you know, Steph was the one who brought it to us and implemented it. I thought nobody would ever take advantage of it, but it was called, a, it's called Let Us Host You. And so when people are thinking about visiting our church, they can go online, they see this form, they can fill it out and, you know, give us their names, what time they're going to be here. And then we have somebody that's ready to meet them at the door and, and then we can show them around. We can show them where the children's ministry is, where the bathrooms are, where the adult service is, if this is it, um, this is the adult service. Uh, and so, you know, we can show them all of that stuff so that a lot of their questions are answered to help them just acclimate them to the church. And so they fill that out and they, they were a part of that. And, and my first conversation with Tony was like, where's that sign up for softball? I said, man, you missed it. It's, it's already over. He goes, I'm a player. You're going to be sorry that you didn't have me on your softball team. And I said, well, you know, next year. Well, you know, next year. And he goes, I, I'm thinking there's a bubble again. He won't be here next year. But, you know, I, I'll tell him anyway. Well, he was here next year. He's big smiling. We got him on the team. And he's not a bad ball player, actually. I was really surprised. And uh, no, he's a good ball player. And so I just want, we just want to share his story, their story with you. And so this is what it looks like when a family church comes together to make a difference in somebody's life. Go ahead and roll that. Tony. My family really didn't grow. 
go to church when I was growing up. Um, I went to church with the neighbors because we were in a very small town. There was no one really my age, and it was something to do when you come from a town of 125 people. My experience with uh, going to church as a kid were what, what we called CEO uh, Catholics. My dad grew up, went to Catholic school as a kid, so we had to be involved in church in some way. Uh, CEO meant Christmas and Easter only. In <laughs> most years, we missed Easter. So it would have been just Christmas, but we almost always made those. Um, when we started coming to Joy, uh, the thing that I really connected with was Pastor Brian. We would look at each other a lot and think, is, is Pastor Brian stalking us? Because he would bring up stories that was like, oh my gosh, that's so our experience in our life. And it's like, it, I mean, it just felt like from the beginning that this is where we were meant to be, that, you know, it felt like a similar path or um, we loved his humor, um, we loved his positive messages. I cried for the first several services just because he touched my heart and things that he would say. And then there was the music. Um, music was a huge part. Music us. was a huge part. Um, I mean, we intentionally are there to make sure that we're there when the music starts. Um, Steph makes me a better singer. <laughs> <laughs> I watch football every Sunday religiously, and yet I always had this missing part of my Sundays, and I never knew what it was. I just knew it took forever to get to noon, and <laughs> I found out later by going to Joy, it's not, it, it's not that that I was missing, and Joy has helped bridge that gap. With wake up, it's what are you going to do? And, and really, we go almost every week. And if we're in town, we're at we're Joy. At Joy yeah. and, and the kids aren't like I was as a kid. Do we gotta go to church today? No, it's just, no, we're going. So when we first went to church, I wasn't really looking forward to it. But once the mu music started and Pastor Brian started preaching, I really started to look forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. it's, it's fun, it's fun. I like being on the tech team. I honestly don't remember when we first started going to Joy. <laughs> just gonna say that but um, now I help on the kids ministry team and that's pretty fun we do practices like every Monday and I feel a lot more involved and I love all the like dramas and stuff we do there basically everything we've tried at joy we've really really liked yep. now Kara's even getting involved in doing a small group and she's done a small group before I'll be doing a small group and so we're we're, we're growing with joy and it's uh, our small group, by the way, is laser tag. <laughs> hey, We're baby super steps. excited baby about steps, that. Baby steps. <laughs> That's another thing I play on the softball team. So my involvement has been much less important things, like these guys do the important <laughs> things. Let's see, I play softball, I throw bean bags, and now I'm in laser tag. <laughs> so I'm working my way up. I'm working my way up. To people that are new to Joy, I think it's important to know that things like growth track are a little bit intimidating sounding because you don't know what it involves. It's four steps, which to anybody who's lived life thinks, man, I don't even know if I want to take the first step, much less four. <laughs> but really, it's, it's no big deal. It's generally a very small group. When we did it, it was roughly 10 people. You start with a meal. Then you go in and you either learn something or do the profile that you learn about yourself. It's really not nearly as intimidating as it might seem. The growth track for me was, I thought it was pretty entertaining actually. Like with the steps where you, what is it? Like you do the little chart thing and then you, <laughs> chart thing. I don't know how to describe it, but 
like tells you about your personality. I thought that was pretty neat. Mm -hmm. It was right on, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, as much as what it is about learning about joy, I think it's learning about yourself. Um, you did kind of that personality or strengths profile or whatever we did, and, and that was right on. I mean, we looked at that and was like, oh, I know what Tony is, I know what I am, um, and Sean did that with us. Mm -hmm. Danielle wasn't quite old enough Not yet. Old enough. <laughs> or she would have. Um, but that, I, I mean, I just thought it, it was an interesting thing to do, and plus, you get fed, <laughs> and we like food. We're a family church teaching people to reach, reach their, their world. world. Every day you build on the theme that joy starts with, and, and, and they don't let you forget it. It's like a good movie where you learn something early, and then later you're going to hear it again. That's my favorite thing in a movie. It's like they actually had a plan, and I like that about joy. But you hate Finding Dory. Yes. <laughs> finding Dory I hate because they do the same thing over and over, but that's a whole other story. Thanks. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, guys. It's a scary thing to put your family on video, but there they are. Thank you so much for doing that. You know, the reality is, Joy, the reality is we could stop. I mean, we've got everything we need, and we... You know, if we just if it was just us, we wouldn't need some of the stuff, the ministries that we have, we wouldn't need that. But it's not just us. It's not just us. And this is not designed to stop with us. To be totally honest, somebody somewhere made the gospel accessible to you and me. This message that started two thousand years ago that is so fragile, I think, it could have been stopped so many times, but it survived. It survived because men and women, ordinary people, had the heart and compassion for others. And so, as a church, we're gonna always try to get better. I want us to reach the people that nobody else is reaching. And as somebody said, if we're gonna reach people that nobody else is reaching, then we have to be willing to do things that nobody else is doing. Paul said this and in 1 Corinthians 9, I wanna finish with this. He said, even though I am free from the demands and the expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant. That's huge. I made a decision to serve others, really, is what he's saying. To any and all that in, or, in, in order to reach a wide range of people, and here's the wide range of people, the religious, the non-religious, the meticulous moralists, the loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever, I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all of this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. I want to just talk about it. Church is more than just talking about it. We want to be in on it. Amen. Would you bow your heads this morning and let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the heart of this congregation. Thank you for the men and women that desire to see this message preached to central Minnesota. In fact, so willing that we're willing to rent something that is beyond our ability and do something that is bigger than we are, but because of the power of we, we can make it happen. And Father, I thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, Father, we believe precious seed will be planted in central Minnesota Tuesday night because of the heart of this congregation. And next week, we'll be able to say, this is what it looks like when a loving group of people touch a community. And so we thank you for that in the mighty name of Jesus and everybody said, amen.
We're so happy you joined us today. If you're ever in the St. Cloud area, we invite you to join us for one of our 9 or 1045 a.m. services. If you made a decision today to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, we'd love to hear about it. We invite you to email us or contact us through our website, greatjoy.org.